Welcome to Bethel Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Amy, and this is our online worship experience. If you're joining us for the first time, we are delighted to have you. If you faithfully attend every week and have done so for the two years we've been doing this, thank you as ever for being a part of this online family. At church this weekend, we celebrated the life of our beloved Dick Blomquist. He passed away in early 2020, but only now have we honored him in this way when family and friends could be together. It was such a privilege to be his pastor and to continue to know his children and grandchildren. Thank you to everyone who helped make that possible. It took a lot of loving hands and hearts to make that day together. And if you weren't able to be with us, I encourage you stop and say a prayer for that great man. I don't have too many announcements for us, just two serving opportunities. We are in need of a new ECHO meal coordinator. So if you are someone that would like to do a bit of organizing to help cook and serve at our local homeless shelter, please let us know. Second, we are also in need of church members who want to be a little more hands-on and participatory with our mission church, Iglesia Luterana de Santa Cruz. Again, do come and talk to me about what this might mean. All right, that's all I have for now. Let us come together in this Easter world of ours, worshiping God in and through the risen Christ. Amen. Thine is the glory risen conquering sun endless is the victory thou or death hast won angels in bright raiment rolled the stone away kept the folded grave clothes 
where thy body lay. Thine is the glory, praise and conquering Son. Endless is the victory, the war death has won. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Eternal and merciful God, by the resurrection of your Son, show yourself to us and inspire us to follow Jesus, your Son. Give us the fortitude that we need to live a life of examination, of honest examination, to know the truth of ourselves and the truth of ourselves in light of what you have done in the cross and in the tomb. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are navigating the stories of Jesus after the resurrection, as we have done the past two Sundays. Jesus showing up in locked apartments, breathing on everyone, bearing his wounds, walking to Emmaus. Granted, we didn't read that story in church, but it is such an important part of this cycle. We have resurrection stories about uh, eating fish and bread with friends. And today we have another Easter story, breakfast on the beach at the Sea of Galilee. Yes, eating more fish. These verses are so rich with symbols and meaning, little bits of language reminiscent of all the early call stories but all the more signs in the language pointing us to the last time this disciple crew ate together in Jerusalem and just how everything has changed now because the last time was the last supper. What will this mean for this band of followers? We're going to find that out together in the message, let alone what it means for us. Before we get there, though, I did want to say a quick word about Revelation, which we're about to hear. As confusing and confounding as this visionary book of the Bible may be, I was reminded this week from Luther's seminary that no other book in the Bible informs our worship quite like this one. 
So many sung parts of the liturgy are word for word from these verses. And I think over 90 of our hymns and our hymnals, that's been, those have been inspired by Revelation. So whatever you may think of the seven-headed beast and the harlot from Rome, this book is foundational to what you may very well love best of all about Lutheran worship. So yeah, I don't have a lot of explanation about these strange verses. I'm not really on a revelation run these days. I'm pretty obsessed with Peter, which we'll get into. I'm not even sure I'm supposed to explain these verses, but I do want to appreciate them. These words from the part of the Bible that we find ourselves singing probably more often than any of us realize. All right, let's hear from this book of dreams. A reading from Revelation, the fifth chapter. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, singing, to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the 30th Psalm. I will exalt you, O Lord, because you have lifted me up, and have not let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you restored me to health. You brought me up, O Lord, from the dead. You restored my life as I was going down to the grave. Sing praise to the Lord, all you faithful. Give thanks in holy remembrance. God's wrath is short. God's favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping spends the night, but joy comes in the morning. While I felt secure, I said, I shall never be disturbed. You, Lord, with your favor, made me as strong as the mountains. Then you hid your face, and I was filled with fear. I cried to you, O Lord. I pleaded with my Lord, saying, What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you or declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my wailing into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Therefore my heart sings to you without ceasing. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Amen.
Reading from the Gospel of John, the 21st chapter. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net into the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragged the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. And he said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. The Gospel of the Lord. Have any of you ever been to a marriage recommitment ceremony, a ceremony where people remake their vows? I've presided over a few, and they seem especially popular on significant anniversaries, which is nice because it creates continuity between the first marriage and the newest marriage. It used to be that I was pretty dismissive of marital recommitments, kind of an old-school Lutheran purist, like baptism, a promise is made for once and for all, shouldn't that original promise stand? But now that I've seen a few marriages grow over the years, and the more stories people tell me about their promises, where they thrived, where they failed, I do think I kind of get it. Sometimes you go through some stuff, and you change, and you want to make a commitment in your new selves, or there's been a hardship in the union, and at the end of it, you want to acknowledge the journey you've been on together. Or in that space, you want to start over and look to a future, not get dogged down by the past for the remainder of your earthly years together. We need moments when we can say there was a before and now there is an after. I think these are all good reasons for some of us to remake promises. It's an act of hope, a way of finding perspective. 
Now, there's danger in what I'm saying because I want to compare marriage vows to discipleship promises just for a moment. And I don't want you to hear that loving your husband or wife is like loving Jesus. It's not unlike loving Jesus, but human marriage is in fact different. It's just in our culture, there's very few places we make public promises and marriage is probably the biggest. So it does make for a good metaphor. Yeah, we don't have a lot of public vow taking. It's why people like to ask for baptisms, even when they don't believe in God. We long for rituals that help us mark the beginnings and the ends of things. We long for moments when we gather in public and say, I pledge myself to this new life that is about to unfold. That could be marriage, but it could also be your parenthood. It could be your vocation, like how I got ordained and my husband got badged as a police officer. It's in our nature to mark journeys in our evolving identities. But I just want to make that disclaimer. Anytime you make correlations between romantic love and Jesus love, things can get pretty confusing. I have to say, this is an aside, a bit of nonsense. The 1990s were particularly hard for me spiritually because songs about the romantic love of Jesus were pretty dominant in those years. And subsequently, the ways we talked about God were somewhat shallow often confined to adolescent longings for first love, which is nothing wrong with teenage love. Young love is amazing, but it makes a poor basis for your lifelong faith if you get stuck there. That's actually what today's story of Peter is about. It's about getting unstuck, moving from the old paradigm and old way of being into this new thing. It's about recommitting. It's about Peter and Jesus, i.e. us and Jesus, making a new promise. Because the crucifixion and the resurrection is the decisive point that defines the before and the after. These two are different now. We are different now. And when Jesus comes to the beach and says, do you love me? Peter recommits. It was a Bible podcast I listened to that got this all going for me because there is an amazing question here. This is not the first time Peter was fishing and Jesus shows up and says, come and follow me. But it's not a repeat of history either, even if they are on the same lake shore. Is Jesus asking something different from Peter? That's the question I was so intrigued by. Or from us, we who have returned to fish in home waters, we who follow Jesus, denied him, failed to save him, found in God's mercy the empty tomb. Here we are again. But the nature of what we're called to Is it the same? It's not. It's actually really different on this side of the resurrection. And when we drop our nets and we leave our boats to follow after Jesus this time, discipleship is going to be different. Years ago, I heard an amazing sermon on the 10 plagues. It is a psychological journey, said the rabbi. All of them allegories for the emotional changes we undergo as people of faith as God confronts our hardened hearts. I remember him saying the 10th plague, the one of Passover, the one that makes us all so nervous and sorrowful, the firstborn of anything has to die, he said. And I remember thinking about that so deeply, my friendships, my ways of thinking of myself, the child I was, the adult I was becoming, the way I looked at my own parents, the way that I have parented. When you think of the firstborn as a necessary death in the psyche in order to live in truth and not in the past or without illusion, it all makes sense. And I kind of think of Peter this way. And quite frankly, I kind of think of the church this way. The firstborn ideas of discipleship have died along with Jesus on the cross and something new is here. 
And so I've become intrigued with this the past few days. How is it different for us as disciples after Easter? Some of the answers have surprised me. Uh, First, on the less surprising end of the spectrum, Peter, as we talked about on Easter, he becomes a storyteller. He becomes a witness. Before, when Peter followed and wrestled, he wasn't often clear on what it was he was seeing. But after the resurrection, all he can do is talk about what this all means, exactly what it is he has seen, what happened, and how it is rooted in the life of Israel from the first generations. He is on fire. This is not the Peter we know from the Transfiguration mountaintop who just wants to build a shelter and stay with his private vision forever. Now his story and his teaching are at work feeding the first Christian worshipers, which means for you and I, after Easter, we are also called to tell our stories, to tell God's story, and profess our faith in what God has done. We too can no longer keep our faith private, and yes, with our words, not just our deeds. And I know that that is a very happy Lutheran escape hatch, right, into our deeds, but it actually requires our words as well, which brings us to maybe the most striking aspect of life after Easter. We don't have a buffer anymore. Jesus isn't there between us and the world. We have an advocate. We have power in the Holy Spirit. We're not alone in this calling, but now we're exposed for ourselves. It is Peter who takes on the risk now. Peter who confronts the powers and the principalities of his day. It's not Jesus, the enfleshed Jesus anymore. And that's true for us too. No one is going to do it for us. And if we live a life of safety and comfort and looking to someone else to run our race for us, someone else to do what needs doing, someone else to go public, we have to question ourselves, are we stuck? Is it costly? Of course it is. We know we will be taking places we do not want to go. We know that suffering is inherent to this journey. We know all this comes with great vulnerability and possibly even our own deaths. It's ironic, but after Jesus conquers death, we find ourselves more exposed than ever. But why is that? It's because Jesus gave us everything we need, prepared every way for us to fulfill our life as a call to people of God, to become that inheritance that would bless the world. We live exposed because we have the full confidence of God that we can be the voice of steadfast, covenanted love for the world. Whether we live or whether we die, No one does it for us, and nothing is in vain. We become a living sign of God's reign in this kingdom. Yes, the unmitigated voice and presence of love. We are it. We seek it, and we insist upon it in others. And now to the last way that we have become new as disciples in Easter. I'm sure there's many ways, but these were the ones that really pulled at me. If I asked you what motivated Peter to follow Jesus at the Sea of Galilee when he came calling the first time, what might you say? Peter was ready for adventure with his friends. He was ready for a future where the outcome wasn't a foregone conclusion. He was ready for greatness and a name for himself. He was ready to get out from under the thumb of the Roman Empire. Probably quite a few things drove young Peter to follow Jesus immediately. But now there's been a relationship, and that changes things. And he's had to confront himself in that relationship. Yes, I love you, he says, like a brother, my own kin, says Peter, when asked by his Savior. That's what it means in the Greek. And then he says it again, I love you like a brother, my own kin. 
But then when Jesus asked him a third time, and again, this is one of those Greek things, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you in the unbreakable bond of God with his people. I love you. And that is Peter recommitted. What motivates his ministry now? It's a love that's been tested, something he didn't know he had the first time around, just like that marriage recommitment we talked about. And for all of us on the other side of Easter, we need a gut check with our own motivations. What is driving us in this life of faith? I want everyone to think about in this week and in the weeks to come, what are your motivations to follow Jesus? What did they begin as? What are they now? A new life is here, an exposed, sometimes scary, wildly free, fully powerful life rooted in love and nurturing and compassion. There was a before and now there's an after. Who are we in this? Who are we, these followers of God, in the wake of Easter? Because it cannot stay the same. It cannot. We can't stay in our young infatuations. We we cannot remain with the firstborn because what once was real has become an illusion. We cannot remain dogs by the past. Neither can we hide. Something brighter, fuller, deeper, utterly eternal is here. And these are the questions. Do we love Jesus? And are we ready to live in a new commitment? The song I'm sharing today comes from Glenn Phillips and his collaboration with the work of the people. It's about this abundant and eternal life that we should spend but not squander. And it's inspired by poet Mary Oliver, who wrote once, Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. She also wrote famously, Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Amen. You made this world, you made this world, you made this world. Thank you, thank you. You gave me life. You gave me life, you gave me life, thank you, thank you.
I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our closing prayer this week, I am taking from the Chinook Psalter, which is quoted in a beloved book of mine I've carried everywhere called Earth Prayers. You've heard me read from it often. And so let us pray. O Lord, may we today be touched by grace, fascinated and moved by this, your creation, energized by the power of new growth at work in your world. May we be moved beyond viewing this life only through a frame, but touch it and be touched by it, know it and be known by it, love it and be loved by it. May our bodies, our minds, our spirits learn a new rhythm paced by the rhythmic pulse of the whole created order. May spring come to us, be in us, and recreate life in us. May we forge a new friendship with the natural world and discover a new affinity with beauty, with life, and with the cosmic Christ, in whom all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, for all things were created through him and for him. In his name, amen. Let us pray in the words. That our Lord Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. 
Lord of life, you walk this journey with us and through us. Lead us, Lord, lead on. Journeying within and wrestling with the world, lead us, Lord, lead on. Lead us to risk, to grow, and to tread the path you have opened for us. Lead us, Lord, lead on. And let us rejoice that every place is your place. In the name of Christ, the risen one, amen. Christ has a reason, alleluia. Rejoice and praise him, alleluia. For our Redeemer burst from the tomb, even from death dispelling its gloom. Let us sing praise to him with endless joy. Death's fearful sting he has come to destroy. Our sin forgiving, alleluia. Jesus is living, hallelujah. For three long days the grave did its worst Until its strength by God was dispersed He who gives life did death undergo And in its conquest his might did show Let us sing praise to him with endless joy Death's fearful sting he has come to destroy Our sin forgiving, alleluia Jesus is living, alleluia to him with endless joy death's fearful string he has come to destroy our sin forgiving alleluia jesus is living alleluia go spread the news he's not in the grave he has arisen this world to save jesus redeeming labors are done even the battle with sin is won. Let us sing praise to him with endless joy. Death's fearful sting he has come to destroy. Our sin forgiving, alleluia. Jesus is living, alleluia. Go in peace, share the good news, alleluia. Thanks be to God. Christ is arisen From the grave's dark prison So let our joy rise full and free Christ our comfort true will be, Alleluia. Were Christ not arisen, then death were still our prison. Now with him to life restored, we praise the Father of our Lord, Alleluia. Alleluia. 
Hallelujah.